Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 32. We got the regular crew here today. We're starting kind of late, and so we're going to have kind of a compressed episode. Um, me and Griff ended up talking about Vagabond for the first half, so any Vagabond fans can tune in at the end of the show for that. But obviously, this is a Berserk podcast, so we're starting out with Berserk. <clears throat> there is no Berserk news right now, and that <laughs> kind of bums me out, you know. As Berserk fans, you know, people on this podcast, we've been reading it for, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to gloat, but more than a decade, episode by episode. And, you know, only occasionally does it really wear me down. Only occasionally am I like, man, this really sucks that there's all these breaks. And it kind of, you know, I don't say it pisses me off, but it, it annoys me when people complain, oh, a five-week break, this is ridiculous, me are so lazy, you know. But I, then I then I see it crawling into 17 weeks, and I'm just like, oh, my God, 17 weeks, Jesus Christ. And that, that's where I am right now. We're, you know, there's no more Berserk, at least until the end of April. And the, not, it's not going to be in the first Young Animal of, of April, so we could looking at a late April, possibly May at this point, I think it is. So it's not the longest break ever yet, but it's getting there. It, it's never exceeded 19 weeks, and we'll be sitting at about 17 weeks at the end of the month, so... We're well, uh, speaking of vagabond at the beginning, let's hope it. You know, we don't have a two-year break or something. <laughs> like, nah. he's like never that on the he's never pulled anything like that before. He's always yeah. at least consistently released within 19 weeks. So anyway, that's where we are right now, and I just wanted to express, you know, as someone who runs a berserk forum, there is not a lot to talk about right now because there's no movie news and there's no episode news at all. It's just completely dry right now. So Do we know when movie two is coming out on DVD in the States. No, Viz has not announced a release date. However, they have scheduled a debut of the dub version of it somewhere. I think it's, I can't remember what country it is. It's not, it's not America, but they will be showing the dub of that in some other country. I think it's uh this month or next month. So it exists and they've clearly been working on it and have a right. license to it. It's just a matter of the date. So it uh, is happening. We just don't know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yep. Yeah, I haven't been following, but do we know when movie three is coming out actually in DVD, like in Japan or even in theaters? I I just can't remember. No, uh, as far as I know, um, there's no, there's been no date set for movie three's, uh, you know, I guess disc release, I guess you could say. Mm. Uh, and, you know, of course, no date for, you know, America as, as well. Uh, same for movie two, but, I, you know, surely they're coming. You know, the question is just when. But Yeah. The only reason it's really noteworthy is you got a question. This was all over the promotion of movie one before it came out. And then now that, you know, movie one came out and movie two and, I wonder if they're so hot to trot to promote it at this point. I don't know what that – the lack of response from them means anything, if anything. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they're like us, you know, just a bit uh, disappointed. Yeah, could be. <laughs> a, a bit. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, hopefully we'll hear some more news on <clears throat> either one of those fronts. I'm actually, you know, ironically sort of interested to see – you know, some of the uh, artwork or promotional material that comes from the next project. I wonder if I'll give it a date for the next project. So maybe it won't completely suck, huh? Yeah, who knows? I feel like I have to get that art book for the movie. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's sort of, yeah, that's like the, the one necessity out of this. More than actually, like, owning the movies themselves, even though, you know, I plan to have all of them. It's just, uh, yeah, that art book, though, just, you know. So I'm so art book starved. Yeah, really. For Berserk, that uh, that's that's something great to get out of it. At least someone else, even even someone else's take. 
Yeah. I, I, I like to think that that's what he's been working on all this time is another art book or two. No. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. <clears throat> I can dream. Yeah. Well, um, we didn't have um, – uh, You guys want to talk about the cover of Volume 37? I didn't really weigh in on that yet, so I'm kind of interested in it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Um, I think I – I don't, I don't know. I guess there were mixed reviews on it. I actually really, uh, really like it. I really wow. like. I think you. I think you said it. You said I would like the colors and everything. There's, there's a lot of cohesion there. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's one of my favorite sort of random guts posting covers because mm-hmm. of that. I, I especially like how like the because you know there's a lot of them where it's like a lot of times it'll seem like there's none of that where it'll just be like you know the the cover is going in one direction and then the logo will be like hot orange or something. And it's like, okay, this is a little, <laughs> this is kind of not what I'm looking for. But this one, they actually go with this purple color that looks like it's reflecting off of Guts armor right. on the top. Like that's what stands yeah. out to me. It's sort of an unprecedented level of like, sip, Co- you know, synergy. Cohesion. Yeah. That's yeah, probably a coincidence, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it probably is just a coincidence. But yeah, it actually it worked out rather well. So yeah. I don't know. I just I'm a I'm a big fan of this cover. Like I think it was compared to uh like because people some people didn't like the color of the sea god because you know there isn't a lot uh going on there. It kind of just blends in like it's grayish like with guts armor sort of mm-hmm. blends in. Actually, but like- uh yeah, overall I like it. Like I I like it a lot better than I think what cover was it compared to where he's fighting 35 uh, yeah, 35. 35, yeah. That's where it's fighting the weird. Yeah, that one, I like it a lot better than that. Well, it is 35 neat. also, had, uh, you know, the tentacles glowing, but uh, they were more yeah. greenish, so it was a bit, uh, I mean, it, it looks a bit strange. And the, yeah, the title is like, you know, some kind of very bright and very light blue. And yeah, there's, I, I think actually, now that you mention it, the title really ruins uh, the picture, I think, in 35. You know, it, it really destroys any cohesion they might have had. I, I never thought about it before, but now that you mentioned it, yeah, I think it's pretty important, actually. Yeah, because they'll do, they'll do that where it's like it can make or break the cover where it's like it'll be the illustration will sort of have one, like, color palette and sort of theme going on, and then they'll just throw, you know, like, yeah, the yeah. – super bright red, you know, logo on top where it's like, no, that blue would have been better this time, you know, and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. So, but and yeah, you know, this time they, they got it perfect. For 34, for example, when there's a Femto and Ganishka and Zod and such, they, they use uh, the same, you know, palette for the title scholars and for the illustration. It does look good. You know, I, right. I've never yeah. really looked at it like that before, but yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah. 35, they just, just shut the bed, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think the illustration is not that bad, but, uh, yeah, the, the, you know, when you put it on the cover, everything, it doesn't look that good. But I think it suffers mostly from the fact it just guts fighting random critters, you know, and, uh, even though, uh, I, I can't really say I'll ever get tired of seeing guts fight things, but, you know, those aren't the best covers. And I actually feel they've be, they've become more conservative. You know, oh, as yeah. time goes by, you know, nowadays it's pretty much just guts, you know, in some random action shot. And those, like, for example, the cover of volume 30 when he's killing a Makara or, you know, Orion when he's just fighting some random monsters that's not even in the manga. You know, those covers are not, you know, <laughs> they're not the best ones, to put it, yeah. you know, mildly. And, um, yeah. 
I, I wonder if it's something Mura wants to do himself, or it's more like the editor saying, ah, oh, come on, this is the stuff that sells, you know, just put guys in there and, you know, keep the, you know, funny stuff and side stuff, you know, for inside posters and such. No, I mean, there's a lot of, if you look throughout 20 through, you know, through, maybe basically, I'll say, let's call them the 20s. There's a lot of thematic things going on with almost all the covers, yeah. you know. They're hinting yeah. at larger, larger concepts, not just a depiction of an in-the-moment action shot, but yeah. tr- truly conveying, you know, these larger ideas in the series and kind of graphically. And then that stops dead in its tracks with 30 with Guts on top of the Makara going, rah, you know, and then 31 is Guts just being Guts and 32 is him on top of Zod, which is straight out of the book and then Griffith yep. and you know see what I'm saying like it just kind of stops being that kind of high-minded like larger concept view yeah. of the series so that's a bit that's too bad yeah that's too bad <laughs> but you can always wow which is actually you know brings me to my point of 37 which is the only reason I really have anything bad to say about it is that I was overly hyped myself on what it could be which happens every time <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm always. I, I keep waiting for Falconia to get its, you know, shot on the the cover and just bigger concepts and getting another shot of guts. And of course, it's a it's a fine shot of guts. And what I like about it is the light sourcing. How it's all from the same source, lower yeah. the ground, from, you know, kind of glowing from the creature itself, and so you get that high light and dark contrast, which is really cool. And mirror is consistent with it. Technically, very cool. I'm just not wowed by it. You know. That's yeah. All. Well, you know, about Falconia, one thing we should keep in mind is it's also not very, I'd say it doesn't lend itself too well to the cover format, you know. It's like more yeah. uh, vertical than horizontal, and for Falconia, white would be the other way around. So I, I'm not sure we'll ever get a, a like, very, really gorgeous shot of Falconia on, on a cover, you know. Maybe of well, one just, of its I features. I imagine a good one with Griffith, like, you know, sitting on his throne or, like, standing on his throne, waving to the crowd <laughs> or something, saluting, you know, it'd be fantastic. <laughs> but I don't I don't know that yeah. that'll ever grace a berserk cover. It'll probably just be something that he depicts, you know, in the story. Yeah, yeah and the thing is, uh, you know, that would be a cool thing, but uh, then again, it would be more Griffith than Falconia itself. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Yeah, almost all, of the, all the character, all the covers are character-based. And so you know, it would be it would be kind of strange to see a, a literally you know a, a city as uh, a character on the cover. So it, I, it would I get be interesting it. to see a setting based you know cover. That would yeah. be it would be a definitely. I'm trying to think of like if there's any that like I was looking at the covers for a moment while no. we were talking about this in the the manga section of the encyclopedia, just scrolling through, and I'm trying yeah. to see which one now that you mention it is the most setting based. Thirteen, I would say. Let's see here. Yeah, oh, yeah, I, guess, yeah I, you're, I think you're exactly right. Actually, like we're 13, the setting is the star. Because I was, I was thinking something like, I know on five they have got like the castle in the background, but it's more just a small picture. Yeah, a part of much, you know. And look at all the 20. On. Look at look at 23. Look at 20, 25. Um, maybe seven. is the closest because it brings to mind the uh, the troll yeah. cave, but it isn't exactly that. You're right. It's gonna. It's definitely got to be 13. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, but anyway, uh, to kind of cap off this conversation, it really, he really, really, really damn fucking really needs to make an art book. He's drawing me to like have Tourette's syndrome here out of desperation wanting an art book. Because, you know, something I've mentioned before, I don't know if it was in the show or not, but some of these panels and the covers, they've always looked to me like sections of larger paintings. You know, 26 in yeah. particular really jumps out of you because of the size of the brush strokes at work there. 
It seems like it's probably part of a larger image that he chose to focus on for the sake of it making an impact full cover, you know? Yeah. So I really wonder if it's part of a, part of a larger canvas that we'll eventually see. You, you know, well, actually, uh, of, I was just saying art book of, uh, alternate covers, like the alternate cover to volume 37. Yeah. What's with <laughs> that? What, can someone explain the alternate cover thing? I must've missed the news about that. There is an uh, alternate cover. I think, just uh, some se- I think as summed it up where it's like, it looks like it's just something they did for the magazine that they, the magazine yeah. did probably, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just to sell because there's no berserk in, in young animals. They are doing this, you know, alternate cover thing to sell a few more copies, but mm. it's nothing special. And, uh, you know, about, uh, covers being, uh, you know, larger. I mean, the illustrations mm-hmm. being larger than what's on the cover. Actually, uh, you know, Mira did some little graph, you know, uh, of a few of his illustrations. You know, you could purchase them. They were, you know, signed and such. And for a few of them, especially volume 25, you know, you could actually see that the illustration was bigger than <clears throat> that what was on the cover. You know, I don't remember exactly, you know, the details, but it it was slightly bigger. And I remember thinking, you know, uh, the cover of volume 25 was never my favorite. You know, it's not among my favorites because it looks a bit odd. It's all compressed. It's a composition, but yeah. it never really fit with me. But, you know, I, when I actually saw the illustration by itself, you know, as it was originally done, it actually looks a lot better, a lot, mm. lot better than what's on the cover. So, you know, yeah, I'm pretty sure most of them are, you know, bigger than what we are shown and then just cropped and edited to, you know, be featured on the, on the cover. Yeah. That's too bad. Well, you know, even though he's, you know, discarded the idea so far, who knows, in five years, you know, <laughs> he might change his mind. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe he won't the series actually... is over. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I, we no. need to have a, a booklet. Yeah, it would be neat to have a section in an art book that just had like the pure unedited cover images with no, you know, clip art on them basically of like logos or anything like that. Because I wonder how much input Mira actually has on the covers themselves. Like he draws the pictures, but, you know, does he sort of just give them like what he's got and they sort of say that as like, well, advertising department needs to decide what's going to sell on the cover and how it needs to be depicted and, you know. When the logo is going to go over the character on the image and when the character's head is going to pop up in front of the logo and just crap like that. Because like as said, like that 25 image, you know, depending on how much of it you see and how you see it, it could, you know, give it completely different feel. So I wonder how much of that, you know, comes down to him or if he, you know, does he have time for that? Does he think about that or care about that? Well, I think the editor probably does most of the job. I mean, I imagine they ask him for his opinion when it's done, but, uh, yeah, it's probably, he, I mean, it's sure he doesn't do, you know, all the editing himself. It's, it's just like for yeah. the, you know, putting the text in the, you know, bubbles or doing the pages that announce the episode in the volumes, that kind of stuff. That's, that's not his department, I think. Yeah. I wonder how much of it surprises him. Like when he gives them an image, <laughs> an illustration, and then they show him the cover and he thinks like, hmm, that's not how I would have done it. You know? it's sort of <laughs> yeah. like, like, I'm surprised. It's not what I imagined. Right. One of the other things, um, I guess we're done with covers. Uh, one of the other things I was looking forward to doing on this show was, uh, I typed out all of the Dark Horse edition back of the box, back of the book blurbs. Which uh, was a real, real fun Saturday morning for me. Um, but uh, I wanted to do uh, some dramatic readings of some of the best ones. And right now I'm going through them trying to um, find where I typed them out. So I'm going to have to put the show on pause for a second. Okay. 
Yes. These are great. I don't care what you guys think. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I found it finally. Um, I was going to choose to read from volumes 20, 34, and 35. So follow along if you want in a thread, but here we go. <clears throat> Created by Kentaro Miura, Berserk is a bludgeoning manga bulldozer. An epic rumble of propulsive action, primal horror, and profane humor that cuts no corners, pulls no punches, and suffers no fools gladly. Uh, and there, there, don't you feel hold on, hold on. it? Hold on, we need to talk about these in between, and we can't just, you can't just read them. Like, okay. <laughs> there's, there's like so many mixed metaphors. <laughs> they, they are, I like this... how they're just like, you know, <laughs> the way it gets on a roll, like where it's like it got to mention these three things, and then at the end, cuts no corners, pulls no punches, and suffers no fools gladly. Like <laughs> it's just, it feels this, like stuff you've heard elsewhere, all pushed together. This is the one I picked this one because uh, after I typed them all, I, this is the one that really stuck out to me. Is what the fuck? I mean, it's all over the fucking yeah. map. I mean, the image it's creating, I don't quite understand it. It involves bulldo- bulldozers that are bludgeoning things and also pulls no punches and there's propulsive action and an epic rumble. It's like all over the fucking place. Epic rumble. Are they talking about like an actual fight or like, I'm or like a rumbling of (laughs) the ground, you know, you can't really tell. I'm picturing a bar fight, but like on the top of a mountain. So it's epic or something like that. I I don't have any idea what they're trying to do. Propulsive action. So they're saying it's like, you know, a big, you know, exciting fight, but they're saying it in such a way that it almost completely, you know, it's so abstract. <laughs> like, I don't even think yeah. of a fight to hear it. Yeah. You know, the... I actually don't think uh, a bulldozer can bludge on something. That, you know? Exactly, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's uh, thought, my one thing. observation about the whole thing is it's pretty I... much just full of shit. I think they just, you know, found these in some kind of, you know, encyclopedia of uh, cool expressions of some shit like that, and they just put them one on top of each other. What stands out to me is that it will, it might suffer fools, but not gladly. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> not gladly. Yeah, I'm glad, yeah, they, I'm glad they added that. I mean, oh, when, when, you, when you start when you start actually reading these and trying to understand what they mean, they don't mean anything. I mean, they, they never stop. They never mean anything. You know, the, the other one says it's a crushing manga jackhammer. Yes. You know, <laughs> that, that, you know blood, bone splintering epic of extreme action. It's just, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'd like I, to I, think if, if, this, if the guy that writes these gives any thought at all, I have less respect for him. If he writes no. them, like phones them in, like someone calls him and said, uh, dude, we need you to write these back of the box things, and he cranks these out, I have a lot more respect for the guy for that. No, wait a minute. I've got a, I think there's a third, even more respect option where he's making these as bad as he can on purpose. <laughs> now, I mean, because I'm just scrolling my eyes up and down, and I mean, these things, these things have a form. Like, I think you've yeah. talked about this before. It's like, you know, like poetry almost. Like, just going up like eight. 18, 19, 20, like, it's an unstoppable manga avalanche. It's a crushing manga jackhammer, as I said. A crashing manga leviathan. <laughs> a towering, a towering manga monolith. <laughs> a fiery at, manga um, apocalypse. Look at, you know, look where at, it's just like... <laughs> look, at thir- look at 13 and 18. Read the first line from 13 and 18. It's a hurtling manga avalanche. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. And then it's an unstoppable manga avalanche, you know. There's a lot of those things as well. Well, There's only only four volumes. There's only so much you can say. 
Yeah. I've saved the best for last though. I'll, I'll continue on to 34. <clears throat> he tries to go really high and mighty with this one. This is what I, this is why I appreciate it. Like sledge striking anvil, berserk hammers the sensibilities of readers worldwide, pounding out a steady stream of epic action, gruesome horror, and dark humor that paces, places berserk among the most respected and feared manga series ever published. First question. <laughs> First question. Is it saying that other manga writers are afraid of Berserk? I'm not quite following yeah, there. Not, not other manga authors, just other mangas themselves, you know? They're, they're so like, their own lives, and they're afraid. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, in the in the Toy Story version of, like, you know, the Borders bookstore, like, Berserk is on the bookshelf, and all the others are, like, running away from it, basically? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, like, yeah. That's <laughs> crap on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. Let it be out. You can't, it, it's like gremlins or something. You gotta keep it contained. Don't it after midnight. I'd like to see them do a write-up that sort of was themed on the gremlins rules. Yeah. You know, don't eat berserk after midnight or get it wet. Don't get it wet. Jesus Christ. <laughs> would be, yeah, what would be interesting is like if you could take all the best, like if you could make a best of one of these, take all the different parts, you yeah. know, Whatever was the best of, the, you know, the bare knuckle manga brawl or whatever, or something <laughs> manga volcano, and combine it with, you know, the I like dark humor rather than the profane humor because that just what makes about, it sound like what it's about dirty. Un- uncivil humor or excessive oh. humor, yeah, <laughs> improper, yeah. rule breaking humor. It's ridiculous. <laughs> God, taboo breaking. My f- my absolute favorite one though is thirty five. Um, like a gauntleted fist to the face. Gauntlet. Kentaro. <laughs> I couldn't get through it. Yeah. Basically, it's, it's, it starts out, it's not even trying to be poetic or like image busting. It's just like a punch to the face. <laughs> a gauntleted fist to the face. Yeah. Like, yeah. A, like a gauntleted fist to the face. Kentaro Miura's berserk is a shocking explosion of epic action, gruesome horror, and dark humor. That places Berserk in the pantheon of adult manga. Wait, wait. All it does is place it there? Like, firmly? Like, righteously place it? It's just there. It's just there. somewhere. You just bought the ticket to get there. That's it. Yeah. It's just there somewhere in adult manga. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Got with a fist to face. You know, yeah, it wins. It's it's the best one. (laughs) Yeah. These things are great. Well, I was... I'm trying to see if every one of them has epic somewhere in it, like if that's a requirement. But no, 36 does not. But let's see. <laughs> I'm just looking. Well, I'm streaming well, through for the word epic. While you're looking, what is the deal with focusing on the dark humor? How many instances yeah. can you guys think of that have? Well, no, like, yeah, that's dark- the thing where it's like they have to mention every time that you know it's got horror, action, and humor. That you know yeah. they're trying to hit those points to get as many people as possible. Is Berserk a particularly is, funny series? No, and the thing is, the humor is not that you know, like they're like profane humor, brimstone humor. But actually, the humor in Berserk is is pretty lighthearted. You know, it's not like yeah. you know, making fun of dead people or anything like that. I mean, there are a couple instances where you know it's like that, but it's very you know, very sparse, and most of the time it's much more lightheaded. So I, I, I'm lighthearted. So I'm not sure. 
Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, it's volume just... thirty, volume thirty. I'm sorry, as created yeah, go by Kitaro Berserk is a point blank manga broadside, a relentless <laughs> barrage of action, horror, and humor that asks no quarter and gives none. Damn the torpedoes! Yeah, what? they, yeah, he, he, <laughs> they go on these little. Or I say he's. But I'm, I hope it's not a team of people. I, I, I assume it's one guy. Like do these like you know final That's stinger cool. lines, like yeah. one liners, you know. Yeah, at the no end. Cl- like, no guts, no glory. Capital G for guts. Guts is capitalized. I, I yeah. get it. My God. No pain, no gain. Burn, baby, burn. Hell hath no fury like preserve. The bell tolls for thee, wimp. And of course, what does it say about your grandma? Oh yeah. If you're looking for graphic fiction to take home to grandma, this ain't it. Unless Granny smokes cigars and rides a Harley. Yeah. Yeah. Well. They, no. they did that twice in a row, and Berserk is not exactly for the theater crowd. Unless the theater features pit fights. <laughs> fucking A. Jesus. It's such a clumsy fucking metaphor. Jesus. I'm Clums. glad I don't own these things. If you're looking for a graphic fiction tied up with a pretty pink bow, you'd better run for the hills because Berserk will show you what to do with that bow. <laughs> <laughs> Does it seriously say that? Yeah. That's volume five. <laughs> It's one of the ones that I didn't type. Uh, Handsome Raksha said typed like five read, or six. Of them read volume top. six. Trust me. Don't read it ahead of just read it. Do do the voice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Created by Kentaro Miura, Berserk is a blood-stained manga juggernaut. <laughs> Equal parts savage violence, gruesome horror, and black humor packed inside a flaming powder keg. <laughs> Into a crowd of terrified civilians. Let the weak need get <laughs> I'm glad you didn't uh, prompt me on this, because this is fantastic. Let the weak need get out of the way, because Berserk ain't about to give up any ground. I feel Man. like these were written by Dave Mustaine or something. <laughs> familiar with Megadeth's lyrics. <laughs> I would pay James Hetfield to read these in his James Hetfield voice. Oh, that would be that would be excellent. I mean, that's they demand that kind of voice. As a matter of fact, yeah, yeah the next one has a pedal to the metal manga madness. I'm seeing if they actually reference metal music at some point in here. Pedal to the metal. <laughs> wow. Duck and cover. You can't handle the truth. Thank you, sir. Yeah. May I have another? There's three of those in a row where they're like taking famous movie lines, basically, or like sayings, yeah. and just throwing yep. them in at the end. Yep. The bell tolls for thee, puny mortal. Run for your lives. And then the bell tolls for thee, wimp. Really, that's on the back of volume 13. (laughs) For volume 14, they didn't even try. They said, fuck it, no. (laughs) Nothing's even on it. Anyway, um, (laughs) we've we've spent too long on this section. It was fun, but let's move on. Um. Now we actually have some serious conversation. Whoops. <laughs> Terrible transition. Um, we probably should have done this first. <laughs> yeah, we probably should have done the serious stuff first and then ended up with that. It's just, this is less of a traditional topic and more kind of like a Q&A session with you guys to see what you guys think about this particular <laughs> section. Because honestly, it's not something I fully understand myself. I have an inkling of what it means, but that's, what I, that's why I picked it because I want to see what you guys thought of it. Um, in volume 24... Um, Flora is talking to Guts about basically uh, kind of Guts' inner conflict with the path that he's on 
And she's talking about, she uses the word, um, hellfire. I've seen it translated a number of different ways. Like if you, if you piece out the kanji itself, it means karmic fire, but, uh, together the kanji seem to mean hellfire. I think dark horse also translated as hellfire, but she's referring to, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Basically the, uh, it's kind of like a spiral that guts is trapped in because of the, uh, his past and his quest for revenge. It brings him close to the brink of, you know, being burned by this, you know, hellfire, karmic fire, because he's constantly putting himself in danger, constantly facing these, these over unstoppable odds, but, uh, coming close to death, but surviving, always skating on the brink of ice, basically. But it's something that, um, it, it empowers him because he has this power, but it also could consume him. So it's always like on the, on the verge of destruction. Well, what did you guys simple. Please go ahead. Make it simple for me. Well, you know, he's just, uh, he's fighting against, you know, impossible odds and mm-hmm. it's like a vicious circle. And you know, the desperation gives him, uh, you know, like a strength of despair or whatever. But at the same time, it's a circle from which he can escape and that will eventually kill him. Mm-hmm. So that's what Froa tells him, you know, Casca might, you know, I mean, definitely is going to be the one who to take him out of this because, you know, that strength, that desperation, that hatred, everything like that, that gives him strength to fight against his odds. But at the same time, if he keeps on that circle, he'll just end up dead, you know, that's right. that's pretty much it. She all, yeah, at the end of the whole conversation, I say it's the next day, she says that protect, perhaps she will be your protection from Hellfire, obviously referring yeah. to Casca. Um, but she also says in the first conversation that while it gives you strength, it also makes your sword heavy and blunt. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if ultimately he'll come across, uh, he'll come out of this kind of a better person if he's able to escape that cycle. Is that something that he can escape just through Casca? What I'm saying is like, uh, when he were, go ahead. Actually, I always thought, I mean, there's one thing is so far he wants to kill Griffiths for revenge. Right. You know, that, you know, that's just it's, but he might find more of a reason, like not just for that, you know, and, yeah. uh, I, I always took it to mean that when he has more of a purpose, a purpose that's not just, you know, personal revenge, it might, you know, be more meaningful at the same time, you know, might, you know, make him be able to say, have more clarity in the way he fights and he approaches things and such. But, you know, that's a bit messy what I'm saying, but in short, yeah, I think that's what Flora is referring to. The fact, you know, so far he's just been in it for revenge and, you know, as far as the Beast of Darkness is concerned, he just, you know, you know, it just goes to show, you know, when you see what happens with the armor, you know, when he first wore it, he was going mm-hmm. to fight Grumble to the death, you know, not just right. caring about anything, like, and finally not, not even getting his revenge because he wouldn't have done anything, you know, to survive this encounter. So I, I think it refers to that kind of state of, you know, mind in general, the fact, you know, the frontier between just going for it no matter what and going for it to win and survive. Mm. <clears throat> I, I bring all these things up to just, to say that, she, you know, obviously Florida knows a hell of a lot about the world, but this seems like such personal knowledge about yeah. Guts and, and how he fights. And I, it made me wonder if because of her relationship with Skull Knight and the fact that Skull Knight and her, she were once humans together, if she may have seen this happen to him as well. And that basically the things that she's describing are kind of mirror images for what the Skull Knight must have went through as a human. Too far? What do you think? What do you guys think of that? Um... You know, well, I would say, uh, 
I would say that, you know, if depending on uh, what else we learn about the nature of the relationship, you have to assume that that goes with her knowledge of, you know, you know, what he's going through and, you know, yeah, that she's seen it before. So, I mean, if she has seen mm-hmm. that before with Skull Knight, then, of course, she would be drawing on that personal experience, you know, when making that assessment. I also think it just has to do with her, like, her own, you know, perception spiritually being, you know, much more in depth. Like, she can probably see a lot more when she right. looks at Guts, you know, concerning, like, his spirit and what, and, and just see it factually, like a doctor, you know, diagnosing the situation. She can look right. and see what, you know, sort of his soul is going through, probably. And I'll let As, you know, uh, confirm or deny that for me. Well, um, yeah, you know, I, I would say uh, that it was most likely just refers to Guts himself. I mean, I'm not sure we'd make the part with the, the Skull Knight. Uh, you know, I'm not sure he had the same circumstances. But that, that being said, we know... You know, I mean, we don't really know, but we can guess how he ended up and it wasn't, you know, in a good way. So I think, you know, what she's referring to is knowing what Guts went through and what his state of mind is, you know, when he just talks to her and such. I, I think it's easy for her to, you know, put the picture together. And, you know, she was a pretty perceptive old woman, pretty smart mm-hmm. and subtle, you know, and she could she could see right away that, you know, Guts, what his tendencies were and what Casca meant for him. So, yeah, I think that's why she made that comment. Not necessarily in reference to the past, but again, like Griff said, it's, I mean, it's impossible to confirm or deny before we, we get to see it, actually, you know. It's up to Mira, mm-hmm. but that wouldn't be my first guess, at least. Okay. And, of course, <clears throat> what made me think about that was at the end of the, uh, right as they leave the mansion, uh, Guts says he wants to keep Casca close, and she says, perhaps that will be your protection from Hellfire. But she gives kind of this, there's this one panel of her looking down and smiling, and then she says the line. Almost, it seemed to me like it was like a familiar scene for her. Which I, I know is reading quite a bit into it. It's, it's reading as much into it as Void saying nothing in volume 13 in that one panel. Drawing <laughs> reference from that, but that's how I read it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of like, uh, it's interesting the way uh, Ask put it. He said that wouldn't be his first, you know, guess, which, you know, that's, I think I agree with that, but it's something you think about, you know, after that you sort of add on to what, you know, the obvious, you know, the obvious interpretation of the scene. You also think mm-hmm. about it more deeply and, you know, how that can tie in. I think that's, you know, it's, you know, you can, you can have it both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, as far as the uh, comic fire goes, you know, or the hellfire, whatever you want, whatever way you want to say so. And by the way, I'm pretty sure it, you know, it is comic fire because it's based on a, you know, Buddhist, uh, Buddhist uh, concept, you know. So okay. quite a few things, you know, Frost said were, you know, revolving, you know, around Eastern concepts like that. Anyway, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's tied to, you know, when you see that panel, you see the, the beast of darkness in the background, you know, huge, you know, right. looming. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in regard to that. And in a way, it was some kind of, you know, foreshadowing what happened with the armor, you know, the fact it, it, you know, flamed, you know, I mean, the, the armor's art right. was used to the beast of darkness and all that trauma from Gus past to, you know, assert its power on him. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it refers to all of this. And even to the fact that still now Guts is trying to find, you know, a balance between using that power when he needs to and, uh, not, you know, interesting himself to it and just, you know, throwing all he cares about away and uh, having a bad ending, you know, in short. Right. <clears throat> Given all the, um, 
sort of half understood things about the armor. We should probably have a podcast with the armor at one point. Yeah, so I, think it is a, I think it is a concept that's not fully understood. Um, yeah. So definitely not. A lot of Maybe people we should have saying, a you know, podcast topics thread where we could just th- place to put our ideas, but also people yeah. could make suggestions what they want to hear about. Yeah, that's a good sure. idea, actually. I agree. Yeah, that's it for the topics, main topics page. We didn't have a lot because I knew we wouldn't have a lot of time today. But um, we do have a pretty cool concept for next one. Um, Azil had suggested we do one about Ganeshka, and I was like, hell yeah, Ganeshka. But uh, we only had, you know, 30 minutes or so to do Berserk today. So definitely something we want to do in the future. If not next time, then the next time. Um, it's one of my favorite characters. Really felt uh, Mira gave him a good shot, but <clears throat> we'll talk about that in the future. Yeah. Um, some other things, just really quick about the site. Uh, planning to upgrade the forum pretty soon. It's kind of long overdue. So there might be a period next month or so when the site goes down for a day, but don't panic or anything. Obviously, I'm just redoing things visually and upgrading things. So look forward to that. The The theme will never be the same. The theme will be different. The, oh. the, way, the way the forum looks now, it's not going to look exactly like that. It's going to look... As much like that as I can get it, but I basically have to recreate things from scratch, uh, sort of building on that existing theme because things are being upgraded. So take some print screen screenshots to commemorate the look if you guys want. It's a, it's a big upgrade. I think it's worth mentioning that it's a big upgrade. Yeah, it is significant. So, um, But it shouldn't be any – you guys probably – you're not going to notice anything missing, obviously. It's just going to be uh, functionally a little bit different. <clears throat> Yeah, and it's only the forums that's being affected, not the rest of the site. Right, right. So for now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's very um cryptic for now. Yeah. Well it's, it's planned just after the wire and Vagabond and breaking bad. <laughs> and the other things. No, I, I have a I have a very specific window opportunity for this to happen because my wife's going out of town uh with my son, so I'll have like a solid week and a half or so where I can just focus on work and Side stuff, which, you know, it's not happened since my son was born. So I'll have a lot of spare time, basically. Bachelor pad. Uh, we'll just do some video games real quick uh, so we can wrap up after that. Um, I've been playing Castlevania Lords of Shadow Mirror of Fate for 3DS. I also beat Fire Emblem, but uh, I said as much as I want to say about that in the thread. Uh, Mirror of Fate's pretty cool. Uh, I'm not in love with the game, but uh, it's certainly better than a lot of the reviews gave it. Uh, credit for. I think it's pretty decent, particularly if yeah. you're a Castlevania fan, hungry for more side scrolling Castlevania type stuff. I mean, there's no reason not to get it if that's what you're looking for. But uh, it's not Symphony of the Night 2 or anything like that. It's not in the vein of that. It's more in the vein of classic Castlevanias with a little bit of exploration and very, very minor backtracking elements. So I think it's cool. Yeah, I think what's pretty cool is the only downside is that it's also pretty short. Just, you know, I mean, it took me. 10 hours to finish it uh, 100%, you know, with everything. And I, I didn't rush through it, so... But yeah, other than that, I was, you know, actually, you know, happy surprised with it. And uh, yeah, I think uh, a lot of the reviews were pretty harsh on it, honestly. Compared to, you know, other games and what they are usually, you know, uh, rated, I, I think this one got, uh, you know, a bit... It was a, a bit unfair, but yeah, overall, a good game. If you like Castlevania, I'd recommend it. I have to think... Uh, just real quick, in, okay. in, in response to what the, the reviews, I think it has everything to do with the usage of Castlevania in the title. 
I think when you use that these days, people keep, people keep wanting a huge leap forward for Castlevania. And this is not that. This is just a Lords of Shadow game, Castlevania, that happens to be side-scrolling and, and draws on some of the, you know, uh, themes and things from the earlier series. But it's not like, it's not the re-envisioning of Castlevania that a lot of people may have wanted. Uh, but I mean, it's well, fun. You know, Zenbig said, uh, Lords of Shadows, it wasn't, you know, I didn't find it true to Castlevania at all. I think it just sure. has a name, but that's it. But this game actually feels like a Castlevania game. I mean, it's in the fucking castle, you know, for one. And, uh, right. you actually get to fight Dracula, you know, for two. And, uh, yeah, so, and it's, it stars the Bellmans and such. And so honestly, I actually think it's the closest thing we've seen to, uh, envisioning of the series since, uh, like, you know, Symphony of the Night. And, uh, mm. Yeah, I actually, I actually think it's a pretty, you know, pretty good effort. And, uh, people should be a lot more, I don't know, for fans, they should be a lot more enthusiastic than they are. Yeah. I think. Well, my question was going to be, uh, I guess as just answered it, but what do you guys, what is like the, considered the successor to Symphony of the Night? Like, you know, as far as, you know, sort of impact, you know, carrying the mantle. Aria of Sorrow and Dawn of Sorrow. Yeah. I think. Yeah, pretty those much. Are, those, are, those two are the most direct, like, one well, more Symphony of the Night, here you go. You know, uh, Circle of the Moon on, uh, Game Boy Advance was also pretty good for what it was at, at the time. It, it's a, it's a pretty good game. The story is just, you know, it's a copy and paste of uh, Symphony of the Night, but uh, it's pretty good and it's also a pretty hard game, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which uh, Eye of Sorrow and Dawn of Sorrow are not. And other than that, the other games like Portrait of Ruin or Order of Ecclesia weren't bad, but you know, the thing is, they're just the same formula. Originally, Symphony of the Moon, uh, of the Night was not supposed to be like the main title in the series, it was a spin-off. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Castlevania 64 was uh, the big one. And we all know how that went. No, but the, the thing is, I think Konami has been trying to really move the series to 3D for so long and they're just, Tired of, uh, the 2D side scrollers or, you know, Metroidvania. You know, I hate that word. God, and, I can't believe you just used that term on my podcast. Yeah. Well, Castle Troy? Can you, what about Castle Troy? Can, can you bleep it for me? Because, uh, yeah, I hate it myself. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, I think Konami is just tired with this. And, uh, yeah, in a way, in a way that, uh, Mirror Fate, you know, game was, was pretty good at moving past that, beyond that. Mm-hmm. That being said, I would still like, you know, a game in the old, you know, formula. Not the old, old one, but the, you know, middle old one. Shit, that doesn't make sense. You well, mean like Super... Because no, well, I, I asked for like the, which one is the one, but you guys listed like four contenders, which uh, makes me think there isn't one. There's, there's no, yeah, there isn't one, you know. I mean, Symphony of the Night was, you know, iconic because a lot of people, you know, found the series through it and because it was very expensive and also, yeah. you know, it was very pretty. It was titles that had quite a lot of uh, budget, I guess, compared to the, you know, handheld titles. And so it was pretty big in that regard. But, you know, since then, there's been nothing. I mean, the series has survived through... You know, there's the PS2 games in 3D that weren't very good, and then there's uh, all the handheld titles. But of course, because they are, you know, on you know handhelds, they were a lot less, you know, smaller and with uh, a lesser scope. Yeah, so, yeah there, there can't be a true successor. And I think of- I think Aria Sorrow is very, very much like the next something of the night. I mean, there's so many things. Yeah. It plays like something of the night. It feels like something of the night. Yeah, it involves some of the same characters. You know. 
what I said, Arya and Dawn, I said too because they're you know they're a continuation of the same game. You know, Arya ends yeah. and then Dawn is the yeah. next one. So, and, and the thing is, a lot, a lot of fans, actually, most of the fans, truly wanted instead of Mirror of Fate, they wanted the you know to see the you know nineteen ninety nine battle. You know, the one where. Right. Yeah, where it all takes place, and I think a lot of people were disappointed that it's not being made, and it's probably never going to be made. Much like yeah. Symphony of the Night Two is probably not going to be made either. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, yeah, the thing with Eye of Sorrow is that it's just a game that's just four hours long, right? It's just I is think. Is it really? Yeah, it's just five hours, something like that, and it's on I, GBA. I, so the price been a lot longer. That's been a lot longer than that. Just trying to fill out all the items and monsters and things like that. Well, I, I think Dawn of Sorrow is uh, maybe 12 hours if you try to do everything. Mm. Aria might be 8 hours, but it's pretty short. It's pretty short because it has to be, you know. And um, right. yeah, so that's why it can't, those can't be. And the thing is, Symphony of the Night, you know, it made a lot of references to previous games in the series at the time. That's why I loved it so much myself, you know. I can speak for myself. I'd played all the NES games and uh, Super Castlevania, you know, 4. I hadn't played. Um, how to say? Shit, I forgot the name. The one with Richter, you know? The one uh, with the fire. Rondo, it was called like Rondo. Bloodlines or what? Yeah, Rondo of Blood. Rondo of Blood. Yeah, Rondo yeah. Of Blood yeah. I, I didn't play Rondo of Blood because uh, I didn't have, you know, the console it was, you know, running on. Well, who but, did? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I, I, I had a friend who did, well, not a friend, an acquaintance, but anyway, I didn't play I didn't play it at his place. So... And the, the game, Symphony of the Night, it had a lot of references to these, you know, previous games. And it built on top of that, and it had this twist, and it had everything. It was very big, pretty cool. It changed the series in a way that included some RPG elements. So all these things made it, you know, pretty cool. And so far, nothing's been ambitious enough in the series to really re-envision it like that. So, yeah, that's why nothing's made an impression, you know, as big as it has. Yeah, you say, like I you mean, said, I'll... they probably... Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, as said, it probably... It can't happen because they're not going to make that kind of game anymore for, like, a main console where you could, you know, have the budgeting. Just the, yeah. you know, sake of budget and size, they're yeah, not going to have that again in those kinds. It's going to go to... It's going to be a 3D. Even if they wanted, Konami doesn't have the budget anymore. You know, at the time, there were bigger companies than they are now. You know, they released, you know, games on, uh, on the PlayStation that you know, they are not making anymore. Nowadays, they're just making Metal Gear and, you know, well, what else? So, you know, actually, uh, you know, for what it's worth, I think Mirror of Fate is the biggest evolution in the series, you know, in the right direction since, you know, Symphony of the Night, at least to me. You know, it goes back to characters, you know, wielding whips and uh, it's a side-scroller and it's pretty true. I mean, it does, you know, it does justice. It does the says justice. So, yeah, I, I think that would have to be, you know, a pretty big title to me in the series. Well, unfortunately, I think they've said that Lords of Shadow 2 is going to be the last in the series. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. but that's we'll a good see. thing because I'm pretty sure Lords of Shadow 2 is going to suck. I mean, yeah. I as far as it's going to be uh, probably set in the in modern times, at least partly. Yeah. You know? yeah. And uh, yeah, and it's still going to be, you're probably still going to be playing as, you know, Gabriel. So yep. yeah, why not? Why not? It could be interesting. But did I know ever, the. Did you ever play uh, the the nineties PC game Vampire the Masquerade? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. I actually knew of the you know it's a tabletop game originally. Yeah, sure. And uh, yeah, I knew about it before. And when the game uh, when it was you know adapted into a video game, 
I was uh, pretty crazy about it. So yeah, I d- yes, yeah. I did. <laughs> That's all I could think about when they said basically you know, moving that character into modern times because you know that game you start out in the medieval times and you're locked in a coffin and then you wake up and it's modern day and you're still a vampire and it's all this vampire stuff. So yeah, I thought that was a fun game back in the day. Yeah, definitely, actually, a great game. But uh, <laughs> I'm not sure Lost of Shadow 2 will be as great. You know, it's... No, no, it just, rem- just reminded me of it, that's all. At its heart, you know, the first game was like God of War and mixed yeah. with some elements of Shadow of the Colossus and uh, a few cool things uh, like that here and there. But, you know, the story was all over the place. It didn't really go anywhere. I know it, it had the potential to be really good, but I ended up being very disappointed. Mostly by the story. Uh, the gameplay was alright. Everything was alright. Graphics were good, but and they had a lot of you know star action in there. You know Patrick Stewart doing the narration and such. But yeah, mostly the story that was just you know just wasn't good. Yeah, Azil spent time in his workday explaining the story arc to me from the entire Lords of Shadow for, to all the DLC. You know, halfway through, I was like, this sounds pretty freaking cool to me. And then by the time I was done, I was like, oh, my God, that was terrible. (laughs) It takes a real turn towards the end, I thought. Well, it's not really towards the end. You can feel it coming very early on. Yeah, as a way, I I told it to you, you can't really see it. But when I played, I was like, huh, what? Mm?" And (laughs) as time went by, it became clearer and clearer it was going to suck. I guess that about wraps it up. Uh, Azil, you'd also written down Assassin's Creed 3. How far along are you in that, and, and are you liking it? Uh, well, I'm about uh, 45% or 50%, I guess. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I've been playing the game, you know, pretty heavily in the past few days. It's, pre- it's pretty good, you know, I'll say so. It's, it's pretty good, some pretty good ideas. It's still the same. I mean, it's, t- it's more of the same. But the evolutions are pretty nice. I mean, it changes more than between uh, Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood or Revelations. The one thing, though, where it's, it drops the ball is a story. Mm. The, sto- the story is they try to do some st- cool stuff and uh, it works, but, you know, it, the story is very messy. Like, you introduce two characters you're supposed to know, and, or the, the, you know, your main guy, you know, will act as if he knows them, but... The player wasn't introduced to them, so it can get quickly confusing if you're not familiar with American history. And because you don't get any exposition prior to that. And also, the characters, you know, they talk to each other like they know each other, but you haven't seen them being introduced before. So a lot of stuff like that makes it seem pretty, you know, messy to me and odd and just awkward, you know, at times. Right. So I think that... They're making shortcuts to character relationships, basically yeah, getting past yeah. the meeting and just going straight to the, you know, how do you, yeah. how do we incorporate you into a mission, Benjamin Franklin? Yeah, so that's pretty much, yeah, well, it gets worse than that, I mean, and that's of stuff. Actually, I, I would like to see you play it, Griffiths, because, uh, you know, I think to remember that you're a great admirer of George Washington and I guess what American citizen isn't. But uh, he's present in the game, and they, 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 have a, they address a lot of things, you know, with all these characters, not just him, you know, many, you know, famous guy from uh, that time. And uh, I, I actually like to hear what people familiar with us, you know, this part of history, think about it, you know, about what and they I are taking. It for, I can get it for PC, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course, yeah. Run, right. Runs like yeah, garbage on PC, apparently. I have it. It didn't run very well, but I have not oh, played wow, it since I upgraded. You didn't run well on your computer? I haven't played it since I upgraded. Oh, okay. I think yeah. I hopefully it'll run well on mine. Mine's still relatively new and uh, powerful, so we'll see. 
I can. I don't mind toning it down if I have to, though. Well, it's a, it's a pretty good game anyway, so I mean, you wouldn't be, you know. I haven't played a... any of the previous ones, so with that, you know. <laughs> I, I, I totally, yeah, you know, being me, I would encourage you to play all of them in chronological order, starting with. You, know, <laughs> it's like you must play the first, all these other ones first. Yeah, yeah first, two, three, but uh, yeah, it's up to you. But yeah, I, I would actually do that if I were you. But you know, because they they put the accent, you know, a lot on the continuation of the story. So, but that no. being said, this game has uh, Nintendo syndrome, which is there's like uh, I don't know. Here's how you do this, you know, yeah, five times yeah. over. There's a section where you learn the basics of the game that lasts, seriously, probably, you know, five to ten hours. It's like... Jesus Christ. 20, <laughs> yeah, 20% of the game, you're, you know, you're still learning some stuff. They're still thinking, you're like, oh, I press this button to do that and that. And, you know, when you come from the previous games, you already know all of this shit. All of it. And the stuff you actually don't know, they don't really explain it. So it's just, it's, it's actually ridiculous. I, I want to tell, and you know, I, I can understand why people do this, you know, Nintendo or them or anybody, but the thing is, when we were kids, you know, there was no fucking tutorial, nothing. You just, you know, started and you had to guess it by yourself and, and we still, you know, managed it. So what? You know, there's yeah. a manual for yeah. that. Yeah. And, and, and nowadays things are easier than before. I mean, it's not harder. It's, it's you know, so I, I really get to wonder who these things are really for. And the only answer I can, you know, think of is for all, you know, old people, old people, yeah. or uh, middle-aged people who want to you know get into games. Yeah. I also think it's like a lazy way to probably design a game. Like, think of it like writing a paper or something. It's like, you know, you do your outline and you, you know, there's, it's, I feel like it's for their benefit almost like, uh, we, let's, let's do the tutorial section to start the game out. You know, it's an easy <laughs> way to say, here's how we're going to start the game. Like, so they just work on that and then things flow out of there. But it, yeah, it's not really necessary to the yeah, degree yeah, that it's happening anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah, there, there are, there are whole scenarios that are set up in the first part of the game that are clearly meant and clearly written just to orient you to a particular, like, you know, part of the gameplay. Like one that really super annoyed me was like, you're set up to ambush these, these soldiers that are coming through town and you're on the rooftops and you're supposed to be signaling soldiers down to take them out. So you have this whole setup. It's a big dramatic look and everything. And ultimately when it comes to your turn to actually play the game after just like three minute, like cutscene, you hit like triangle or, you know, with Y and your guys jump down. That's it. That's you're done with your input at that point. The rest of it's automated bullshit. You know, it is, it's telling you, it's telling you, you can use your soldiers to like ambush people. It's not just you. You can have help that comes in from the rooftops. Like, but I, I have to play this game. Uh, it's, <laughs> I mean, that's, it's part of what turned me off about Assassin's Creed 3, that the parts that I have played. And I, I guess I am technically still in the tutorial section because I'm still playing as Hatham. Because you're only yeah. five, six, right. So. But I, I was I was four hours in when I stopped, yeah, and so um, the tutorial part. They, were, they, they, won't, they wouldn't let you play that much because they were still trying to hold your hand through each of the mechanics. They were like, oh, 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 just do this, just hit triangle, you know? Like, ah, I just want to play the fucking like game. To, like, it would be funny if they like actually let you like you move the character and he sort of tries to go forward and it's like, oh, oh he can't move. Like, no, 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 not yet. What do you know? That is You're actually there, there. There are instant fail missions if where if you don't do exactly. Or go exactly yeah. where the mission parameters are. It's instant fail and it repeats the whole scene, and it's just so painful. There are cases where I like, you know, fired on a, an enemy vessel or something like that, and it you know it tells you, ah, oh, don't sink the ship or don't do this kind of <laughs> stuff because it, it's bad for you. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, as yeah, I think, it, that being said, for, for all I'm saying and for we are saying, uh, it's still a pretty good game, honestly. But uh, I think it's a lot less cohesive than the previous titles in the series. I had a lot of fun with Assassin's Creed 2. I think that's the height of the series for me. I had the most fun with the part two because it seemed like they just let you go. Like they set up, the, you know, there's a, there's a story for sure. But by the time you're in control of the game, you just have this massive city to explore. And they're just like, yeah, go figure it out. And like, you'll figure out what's happening after that. And, you know, it was much better designed than this, like where you're on a narrow corridor based on whatever mission you're on. You know, that really annoys me. Yeah. Well, the thing is, yeah, I think uh, I, I don't remember if it was in Assassin's Creed 2 or in Brotherhood, but in uh, one of these, you, you had, you know, it felt a lot more like you could, you could do several different main missions, you know, you have the choice between them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's something that was pretty cool and it's lacking here. And also the thing is here, you're in the wilderness, you know, in the frontier and such. So there are a lot of, you know, big expanses where you can hunt and search, but there's not a lot of stuff to do. So you're just traveling, traveling, going yep. from point A to point B. And yeah, there's stuff on the way, but, you know, since it's a lot less compact, you know, it's more realistic, but at the same time, it's also more boring. You know, it's not like at every corner there's something to do. It's, you know, you're traveling, traveling, yeah, going to a city. When you're in the city, you can do some stuff. Then, you know, the next mission is in another city, so you have to go back there. It's a lot of traveling. Too much, in my opinion. How, how did... How did Red Dead handle the wilderness? How did that you know, integrate you? Oh, well, you know, the wilderness in Red Dead Redemption was also, I mean, you know, there are times you travel, it's, it's fucking boring, you know, and you're on the yeah. horse and you're like, but you know, there's the music. Yeah. They, you know, put a lot of effort in Red Dead Redemption, the music, and there's, uh, the music is dynamic, meaning like you're riding, you know, you start, you know, I don't know, some event starts, the music will change, but it's not a cut or anything like that. It just morphs into something else. Mm. And the way it's done makes it a lot more pleasant, I guess, or tolerable. But that being said, in Red Dead Redemption, there are some parts, you know, some points where I was just riding from, you know, point A to point B, and it was also fucking boring. Much like in GTA, you know, where you have to go at the other side of the city. Yeah. You're like driving, driving, yeah, fucking, you're driving so fast, you hit other cars, it slows you down, you're pissed off, it's the same kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's all manageable. But yeah, it's the same here. I mean, it's not like it's horrible or anything like that, but yeah, some, at some times you feel like, you know, you're wasting your time. You know, it's funny, and just to give you guys another example of where I'm at, when you mentioned, you know, like interacting with George Washington and Ben Franklin and all that, I'm replaying Day of the Tentacle. Or yeah. actually, I've already completed it, and Sam and Max and Full Throttle in those games, but it was just uh, interesting I... to revisit Day of the Tentacle. It's sort of what a brilliant little game that was. I think in retrospect, I think that's how, that used to be like mine. When I was younger, that was like the one I liked the least, and upon completion this time, I think I liked that one the most. Yeah, I, I always thought it was the one that was the most, I don't know, the most high-minded or the, the w- most polished one, you know. Even though Full Throttle was, I remember as a kid, it, it felt, you know, fucking awesome. The graphics, everything felt awesome about it. Yeah. It, whereas, yeah, Day of the Tentacle is definitely, it's like, it's still today, it holds up as being like, wow, this is like really smart and weird and funny. Yeah. And, you know, just clever the way it does uh, time travel and how it sort of unapologetically like, oh, it just so happens that, you know, all the founding fathers are, you know, <laughs> if you go back in time 200 years, all the founding fathers will be there <laughs> just because and you can change history. <laughs> you know? I've never played um, Day of the Tentacle or Maniac Mansion. Really? 
Uh, man, you should. Actually, I should replace them. You know, Jersey Stoke has made me, you know, I, I'm going to see if I can, you know, get them and replace them. They're probably for cheap on uh, good old games or something like that. Yeah, the They're problem with not. Day of the Tentacle is if you haven't, if you didn't play it when you were a kid and used like a walkthrough, then, you know, you're never going to figure out half of the puzzles. You'll never yeah. be able to advance the game because literally some of the things are just completely arbitrary unless you literally try yeah. everything, everything. And even then, because it's got the old, uh, is it the, is it the scum engine? Where it's uh, like, you have yeah. to point, yeah. you have to point and click on the verb on the screen, and then it actually works great for, like, I mean, it still works great today, like, for just pointing and clicking, but it'll be like, uh, you know, you'll try to use an item you need to give to somebody, you'll try to give them the item, or you'll try to click on the item, and it'll say, like, oh, I can't use that this way, because you have to click give, and then yeah. the item, <laughs> and on them, you have to do it, like, this very specific fashion that can actually make you think, you know, you can't do something that you're actually supposed to do. Mm. You know, yeah, that was I, the only I think, trouble I had with it. Yeah, so, so I think that was, uh, you know, a staple of all these games, you know, these text adventure games. I mean, they, they were just, you know, I mean, point and click, it may be more like it. Anyway, they were all, you know, all like that, where you had to try everything. I remember as a kid having uh, sometimes a lot of trouble and, you know, being really angry because this shit just didn't make sense or it just, you know, was fucking, you know. Like you said, it just you have to click on it and then click on see if you just click on the item it doesn't work. It's uh, yeah, I remember yeah. being very frustrated at times. Yeah, yeah my, it's interesting. I, I think I think Day of the Tentacle is the hardest too. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I could never get into any adventure game because I never grasped the logic behind it. The logic seems so arbitrary a lot of times. Like, well, why can't I use a screwdriver on this door and take the door hinges yeah. off the door? You know? Yeah. And we know we're supposed to use the oil can on the flour, <laughs> and then the flour can catch fire, and then you can burn the door down. Like, oh, okay. So, so see, I always thought is what's funny is the fact, the logic behind it is most of the time completely stupid, you know. Yeah. And it's like, it actually usually made me laugh, you know, because it was so stupid, you know. Yeah, like you said, you couldn't just get a screwdriver and, I don't know, break the door or anything like that. You had to do some kind of really, you know, con- yeah. you know, contrived you know, action to, you know, result in something completely stupid that doesn't yeah. even open the door. It just, you know, gives you something else that you use somewhere else, you know. <laughs> that's, right. That's the yeah, thing. that's the thing. And, and that's more of a problem, I feel like, in games like... You know, like Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, they have that yeah. one where it's like, where you're doing, it's the same thing where it's like, why is this so stupidly arbitrary? But in like Day of the Tentacle and like Sam and Max, for example, it's actually, they incorporate it into the humor of the game and they yeah. will comment on the fact that, you know, like, yeah, this is ridiculous. And it, you know, so at least it makes it thematically, it's more appropriate and even, you know, sort of like, you know, there's sort of, it allows them to even make the puzzles you know, you know it's supposed to be arbitrary. At least at that point, they at least give you a heads up that, you know, logic yeah, doesn't right. always, you know, dictate. It makes you sort of have to think very creatively in those right. games and at least encourages yeah. you to. Have you played uh, The Cave, uh, Griffiths? You know, it's a, it's a game that came out recently uh, from uh, Ron Gilbert, you know. I, I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh I think I have, but I thought it was an older one. I didn't know it came out that recently. No, but, no, no. It, yeah, it, it, uh, he did it while at uh, Double Fine, you know, and uh, the studio that's, you know, from, you know, that guy whose name I forgot. Anyway, and uh, yeah, it came out recently. It was actually a big big success, you know, critical and commercial, and uh, it's available on Steam. And uh, yeah, it's a take back to all these, you know, old school uh, point-and-click uh, adventure games. And I, I've really been wanting to, to play it, but... Uh, I just haven't touched the time so far, but, uh, Does it have yeah. any relation to the dig? 
No. Uh, no, I mean, thematically, it's not at all related, but um, it's from the guy who okay. pretty much invented the genre, so, I mean, you can't go wrong with that. Huh. Yeah, it's the guy behind Monkey Island and many, many others. Yeah. Well, Hughes also did uh, The Other Tentacle, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, I think Tim Schafer, that was his first one day of the tentacle. Yeah, Tim, Sh- Tim Schafer is a guy, you know, from Double Fine, you know, that's his studio, and uh, they're reunited okay. to do the cave, so... But yeah, I'm not sure, I, I don't remember, you know, maybe Gilbert was already gone from the the studio at the time, I don't remember. No, anyway, I might have been yeah, the ones who the, did Day of the Tentacle, Gilbert and... Uh, Schaefer. Yeah. Schaefer, Schaefer and Gilbert both worked on Monkey Island. I think Schaefer... I think it's uh, just yeah. Schaefer for Monkey for, for Maniac Mansion. But yeah. uh, for the cave is pretty much um, Gilbert's no, love child. It's uh, not actually, Schaefer. Actually, no? Gilbert worked on Maniac Mansion. Okay. Uh, you know, Monkey Island, Monkey Island 2, Death the Tentacle, and then he left. Right. Oh, yeah, I think Gilbert, he worked on Maniac Mansion and Schaefer did Day of the Tentacle. And there were two oh, okay. other guys that worked on them, but that's their, that's yeah. their connection. Uh, yeah, like yeah. Early on. Well, I, I'm pretty sure they worked, you know, together on Monkey Island as well. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so they're united, uh, you know, and, uh, Gilbert did, uh, you know, the cave and it's, it's pretty good. So I would advise you to, to check it out. I know I will myself at some point in time. Whenever it's $5 on Steam. Yeah, well, I think it's just you know ten or fifteen right now, so it's not even that expensive. Yeah, I think it's actually on sale right now. Oh no, it's not. Never mind. There's, there's a ton of things on sale. Can you believe it? Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, I got a split. Um, but thanks for joining me on the show. As always, we will be back in three weeks, and hopefully by then we'll have some more berserk news. I imagine we will. We're right at the cusp of the uh, record-breaking mark, which I don't think it'll hit. But we'll see. Yeah. So, <laughs> talk to you guys later. See ya. Bye. The end. The end. The end. The end. So my um. You read that I started. I picked up Vagabond 33 and 34. I didn't see that. Oh, I posted it in the Vagabond thread. Um, I actually broke my keyboard <laughs> with the Vagabond volume 33. So what happened was, you know, it comes in Amazon from Amazon shrink-wrapped. And uh, I was trying to do something else while opening the shrink-wrap. Like, I, think, I think I was, like, reading something on the screen. So I was absentmindedly just kind of prying with it. And I was like tugging at the shrink wrap at this point. I'm like pulling at it, pulling at it. And my hand slipped and then that volume just went down like really hard. And just slammed into my W in three keys, which like basically shattered the tiny little plastic piece that holds the keys in place. Oh, wow. So this is like the middle of my work day, which really sucks. <laughs> I, you know, I, I type stuff for a living, obviously. And so I'm, I'm yeah. sitting there trying to figure out what the fuck I can do. And ultimately I ended up swapping like the bracket key for W. So I have like, instead of QWERTY, I have Q bracket E R T Y, you know, instead of W now, it's really ghetto. And I was like, I, you know, you could put like a little like circle sticker with a W on it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, W is also an important key for, you know, if you're playing any kind of game on the computer. Yeah, exactly. That's how you go forward. forward. Cause I, I I tried to play quick. You know? Yeah. (laughs) 
for so for the rest of that day, I tried to just play it anyway, even though it was broken, and it would it would be like a wobbly W key. Oh my god, it was super painful. All thanks to Vagabond Thirty Three. There's some I'm trying to think of some you know philosophical <laughs> trope from Vagabond to apply to this, <laughs> but it'd be well, like it's that like up that broken half. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's like when he steps on the uh, the branch or whatever right before. Um, yeah, he's not being it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He steps on the nail. <laughs> the nail. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, have, are, are you caught up to 33 and 34 now? Uh, are you I think fully I'm, caught up? I'm, I'm fully, I'm caught up all the way, I think, unless, well, maybe I was like a month ago to the latest episode, but I yeah. haven't, I don't have the benefit of the Dark Horse translation of 34. Fizz. Mm, which is like a whole different ball game. So, yeah, for right. all intents and purposes, I'm not caught up. Yeah. I thought I was caught up relatively well and then realized I'd only read like one or two episodes or chapters from 34. I'd skipped 33 entirely, basically. So oh, it was uh, it was neat it was neat to catch up and I looked at the publication date of thirty three and it says twenty ten on it I'm like oh my god am I really that far behind you know have I missed three years worth of this this series well I mean you haven't missed much is the thing I mean it's that's true. why you, yeah you know it's just it's yeah it's been behind it's yeah. just been that long yeah it's a uh, it's taken a really interest I don't interesting is not the word I would use it's taking it's taken a weird turn the whole series I like, has. A, I like that interesting isn't the word no it's not it's not I that interesting I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's interesting but it's, just uh, like, it's like, definitely there's this, out there like you know we we were commenting earlier we may, we may as well talk vagabond since Azil is not on so you know uh, I think it was around thirty two or so maybe thirty three no it was thirty two. When Matahachi, you know, the future of Matahachi was telling the story on the bridge. And I remember yeah. getting the sense that some of the asides that he was making to the audience was as if it was a no way talking to his audience. You know, like, yeah. don't rush the story, guys. I got to tell this at my own pace, that kind of thing, you know. And there's a, there's a lot more of that in 33 and 34. So much so that it's like really like, you know, and not even just Matahachi, but also what Musashi says about how his training and how his direction in life is like at a, at a fork in the road and he's not sure what his direction is. Is, is he, he keeps questioning, am I still strong? Can I still do this? Can I still stay on this path? It's like, yeah, you know, he, he's saying all these things in the midst of a no way taking a break. And I'm just like, wow, this is really getting meta here. You know, he's like, yeah, the whole thing has been, he's been, he's basically been Musashi for a while. Like he's just writing how he feels through the character, you know, writing how he feels, writing the story through the main character. Yeah. There's a Spike Jones movie about that, isn't there? With Nicholas Cage. Adaptation, yeah. We, <laughs> I watched that again. A few days, but that oh, yeah. has, that is what it has become. And even, uh, I'm trying to think, there's like other examples. Like in the, what is it? The last manga exhibition book, hmm. he basically talks about that, like just how, how doing the story has affected him, affected his health, how the content has affected him, you know, obviously, like, he didn't draw, like, such, you know, violent imagery before, mm -hmm. and, like, he, and, like, he really wrote about it, like, he felt like he was doing a bad thing, mm. and it was kind of weird, and now that's just, that's pretty much taken over the story with Musashi, you know, and since then, I mean, even before, like, when he fought, you know, Ito and everything, it had already, that had already sort of pervaded, you know, yeah. the story. So, uh, in, yeah, it's interesting. In one sense, I don't want to criticize it because the series is still in progress. But I, I can't help but think back when he took his last major break, right before 21, 
And then he landed with 21 with such a clear vision of where things were going with the story. And for the next like six or seven volumes, it was just pure progression, pure focused stories and awesome stuff happening almost all the Some time. Some of the best material. Yeah. It came back sort of stronger than ever. And now this, yeah. this feels a little more meandering. Oh, it absolutely is meandering. And to the sense, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't want to criticize him because I still like the series a lot, but I, I have to think he's kind of really rethinking what he's doing, and I'm yeah. not sure. That, and I he's think that, thinking it on the on the fly, like yeah. watching him rethink it in the story. It's weird, and uh, it's also weird in that, like you know, with that whole with Matahachi like telling that story, like that was like that was a clear indication, like okay, we're wrapping this up soon. Yeah. He he suddenly completely he added this strange new storytelling device. And it seemed like it was clear for the express purpose of, like, okay, time to wrap it up. And he, like, touched on briefly, like, oh, and Musashi did farming, you know, and things. And there was one panel. And then yeah. I was a little disappointed because I figured that was yeah. all we were going to get in that regard. And I think at the time that was the intention. And now, obviously, he sort of changed his mind and he's decided to go full, yeah. full or, you know, this is now a farming, you know, manga. Yeah. And, there are, weird. There, there are some weird things that happen as well. Because we're seeing this now kind of in a frame story sense, there's a lot of time compression happening. I think it's particularly evident in volume 34 when um, Musashi kind of randomly visits that village. Um, and it's, it's actually he, it's, he throws himself in the water after those guys were chasing him. Yeah. And, uh, and he wakes up on this, the shores of this place and these people take care of him for a while. And he's there for just like, I don't know, like maybe half of a volume. But there's some serious time compression that's happened. Like you're seeing like glimpses of a day. And then on the same page, you see another day. You know, it's, it's like, it's like trying to establish that time is passing. And you get that sense that that's happening throughout this as if he's trying to compress seven years, the, the missing seven years between the Yoshioka and his appearance of the duel. But the, and, the weird thing is it's also like he's not in any hurry at all. It's right. Like it's yeah. Because yeah, I agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, it's like, he still doesn't even know what to do. And it's like, you know, wow. Yeah. I don't know. So he's like, he's trying to kill the time, but he doesn't know what to fill it with. And yet he's also teasing us with what's going to happen. Cause volume 34 opens with a view of the Island. Like, and talks about yeah. the islands. Uh, what's the word? Uh, I guess relevance in Japanese history. And, and then, and then it's like completely, you know, doesn't return to that. Of it course. Is no, and it's, it's, He's done it a couple of times already, and yeah, it doesn't. It almost feels like it's just like you know he's baiting the hook to you know like okay, keep coming with me. You know, I, I know where we're eventually going to go, but it's like, but this has no relevance. Like he doesn't tie it in with what he's doing, you know, now. Yeah. And there's like no reason for it other than to you know, hey, next time on yeah. Vagabond, don't worry, we're gonna we're gonna get to it. My and- my hope for where this is going. Is that he's going to basically do the seven, the little seven samurai ripoff from the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I guess the book, you know, probably came first. I don't remember the publishing date versus, uh, the, I think seven samurai was like 1954. Uh, I think that's right. Yeah. And I'm, I'll look it up, but, uh, yeah, I'm just hoping he's going to do that because one of the questions he sort of posed in the last manga book, and I mean, I guess Musashi has been considering has been, you know, how, you know, how to use the sword for good. How do you portray, you know, killing people in any sort of noble light? You know, it's just, it's a bad thing and right. that's it. He's almost, he's almost turned on his subject matter, you know, you know, as there are no way where mm-hmm. it's like, this is just bad. You know, why am I, you know, aggrandizing this guy? Mm-hmm. And that's, pre- uh, to me, that's like the way to do it. 
I mean, while still keeping some sort of, you know, thread of swordsmanship in there. I mean, you can make him a farmer, but it doesn't really redeem, like, his life as a swordsman, except in right. a, a really abstract way. You can just sort of make, a, make up a connection. But, I mean, pretty much if he, you know, just uses the sword for good to help people and then I, has his duel with Kojiro and then retires, that, that could be a way he can sort of, I think, make a satisfying conclusion. So I, I hope he'll do that and that it's not just going to be like farming mm-hmm. and then sort of a, you know, a very vague, like, moral or theme of the farming tying into, you know, his life as a swordsman and how, oh, well, now I understand yeah. where my strength lies and I have the, now I have the power to beat Kojiro, you know, get the power up and win the game. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, an old school uh, thing, but... uh I've always thought that time away, the time between Yoshioka, even in the novel, you know, part of what Musashi was learning was the way to all things, which is what he writes about in the Book of Five Rings. Uh, and this is the, the sculptor talks about that as well. The, he, he meets a sculptor who carves yeah. Buddha statues. And he's talking about how um, carving is just one of my, you know, one of the th- things around my circle to, of my of my life uh, that orbits around the center, you know. He's talking about how all these different aspects of his life have a way. And that's something that Musashi like, realizes during that conversation. And then it's subsequently after that he begins taking up farming. And so I've always, even before this part of the, of the, the series, I've always considered farming to be, you know, his introspective look at the way to all things. So, you know, so the, a sword is just one way and farming he learns the way to that. And so there's, there's harmony yeah. in all these different ways of life. And that's what ultimately makes him a strong person is realizing that, you know, the, the largeness to life and all that kind of stuff. And then he goes to the duel. By the time he's at the duel, he's pretty much, you know, he's so much further down the line of enlightenment that, you know, a duel is sort of just like, a, you know, an afterthought yeah. almost. Yeah, no, I, mean, I always, in, of course I always felt book, bad about Kojiro. At that yeah, point. of course in the book, Kojiro wasn't, you know, such a likable character. and uh, Right. But they, they even softened him, you know, before the duel. They kind of made him like where, you know, by that point, he's just a guy, you know. I mean, he's yeah. he's really good, but he's not like – he's not the, the cad that he used to be. And here it'll be interesting because it's just – it's purely sort of – I don't know how they're going to – like, I mean, something that Kojiro missed in life basically that makes him a lesser swordsman at the end. Yeah. Well, he's certainly bloodthirsty uh, in comparison yeah. to Musashi. It's a, quite a different – uh, take on why he uses the sword. Um, I also feel like, you know, there might be some lesson that Kojiro is actually the better swordsman. They mm-hmm. might say that, you know, because he's just like a perfect sort of technician, that sort of a thing, but Musashi because he's the better man right. in the end. So right. we'll see. But it would be <clears throat> interesting if Inno can do that without like blaming his handicap too, where it's like, well, Musashi can hear, so he had a more well-rounded life, you know. <laughs> Because like, he's added that extra element, and he has to sort of avoid, you know, using that. Yeah, as a well, reason why Kojiro, you know, would be lesser. It is interesting though that Musashi is now training consistently uh, throughout thirty three and thirty four by putting uh, leaves or petals in his ears. So he's trying to yeah. train, you know, like Kojiro would train, or trying to understand the way Kojiro sees uh, the world. Yeah, which is a big disadvantage for. Uh, Kojiro, since you know he can't make himself here while he trains. To, you right. Know, yeah. He can't have the best of both worlds. He can't just yeah, choose whereas to not Taji hear. Can. Right. <clears throat> yeah, so I feel bad. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say I feel bad for 
you know, if we're going to release this as the Vagabond episode, we kind of just backed ourselves into it from the very end of the series. So for anyone that's not familiar with the series, probably it's like, what the hell are they talking about? But, you know, we're just kind of talking because we like the series. So, yeah, I mean, I don't need to sell the series. Everyone knows me and Griffith like the series. So, yeah. Definitely Plus, you know, I've I've tried selling it. It doesn't work. <laughs> it's not yeah. to a good degree anyway. But uh, you know, if, if we could just get Az to read it, I think he didn't he tease us last time. Like, oh, I just I just ordered the volumes or something. And he said he said he read volume fourth. That's what he said. Yeah, he finally got the fourth volume. Was going to start reading it, and then just like you know, waited a couple of beats and <laughs> just said it was yeah. complete bullshit. Which should have known. Well, he did say um. I mean, I know for, he's, he's read volume one through three, like long ago, like maybe eight or nine years ago or something like that. Yeah. But he was, he wasn't compelled to read more, he said. And I don't really blame him because one through three, I wasn't super. Those super, are the, like, the weakest yeah. volumes. I mean, those are the ones that follow the, yeah. the book most closely. And yeah, yeah. The, they don't have the, like, what makes the series unique unto itself in them yet. Exactly. You, you can't get a glimpse of what that series is all about. I mean, you, you don't even, you don't get a sense of the power of it until quite a bit later, I don't think. I mean, you get a taste of it in three, in the end of three and into four, but I mean, I, again, I've said it before, I fell in love around six or seven, uh, the Inshin battle. Yeah. Probably like, even five, like when I know you hated that one, I think at first, that's the one where yeah. basically, it's like a whole volume of just them, uh, of the, just them dueling. Up. But I mean, I had never seen like a, you know, sort of a fight depicted like with that in that much, you know, the long view mm-hmm. where, you know, you think it's over, you think it's over. And then, you know, when it really is over and you and it becomes clear that it's over, it that had a it, I think it had a greater impact because of that, because, yeah. you know, you've seen him exhaust so many different opportunities. And in any other story, he would have won mm-hmm. at the end after all that. So it yeah. was interesting to see that happen, you know, and to see that, you know, when he became aware that, you know, he was going to lose. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't like five at first when I didn't understand it because I didn't, couldn't read Japanese. And, and, you know, the benefit of a translation certainly helps. <laughs> uh, yeah, where you can actually see his thoughts and everything. Right. Yeah, that, that whole episode is filled with suspense. That's what's really cool about it. They drag that, that moment out. So... You know, it's interesting what, that we touched on the first three volumes and sort of how, uh, I guess tight they are in the sense that they're, they're, they're conforming to the book more than anything. Mm-hmm. And we're sort of at the, um, you know, and that's a bad thing, but now like it might be getting, you know, we might be at the polar opposite where things are just so, you know, the thread has, you know, he's like the thread is completely gone mm-hmm. and it's just sort of, you know, pure riffing, yeah. pure improvisation. And it's going to be interesting to see how he, you know, gets it on some sort of track. I'm, I'm hoping it does because there's the other thing where it's like you keep showing the island and like we'll cut in, you know, after the duel or it'll just be like the last manga exhibition is the final volume or something. And it's like what? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, the fact that he, you know, for those that don't know that the fact that he dedicated an entire art exhibit to depicting the after yeah, the postscript, a- right? Yeah, epilogue. He wrote the epilogue to the series before he even wrote the ending. Is essentially yeah. what happened. And so we're, we, for readers, we're constantly trying to figure out how those pieces fit into the larger picture, if they'll actually be consistent with what he writes for the ending of the manga. And, and I don't, I don't know either, but, uh, to be honest, I, don't, I mean, I don't have the last ex- uh, manga or I don't have the last exhibit, like anything physical to, to review it. I've seen bits and pieces of it. I've not seen the full thing. 
So yeah, I know I know the gist of it, but I've not fully experienced it. I guess. Well, um, I guess no one has unless you've been to the. Well, isn't there an art? Isn't there an art book of it? Yeah, yeah. There's a rather comprehensive art book of it that yeah, yeah I got, and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I posted, I think, most of the relevant uh, portions, or mm-hmm. at least the most relevant portions, including like the translation of all the dialogue into right. English. And uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting. But that's where it sort of like you know, goes on that notion that, you know, Musashi's life was kind of a wasted life or, you know, kind of negative. Right. Like, it, that's where, you know... And then clearly he took the break shortly after doing that, so he was, you know... I don't know I don't know if, like, his problem... If Inoue's, you know, problems translated into the series or vice versa, but, you know, some there was definitely something there negative going on with him. I think he got... Here's... To me, it's always seemed pretty evident that he got burnt out on... He took on too much, you know. For a while, there was a point in his life. He's doing Vagabond. He's doing real. He's doing. He he did that Lost Odyssey game. You bring up all the points I was going to make. At one point in his career, he was doing three or four different projects all at once. And I I think, you know, he returned to Vagabond more consistently than the others. I think it's called probably his most popular one. But eventually he got burnt out on it. And I think he may have really wanted to see what he could do. Where was he going? I thought the last exhibition was sort of a. You know, where am I going with it? Where do I want to go with this? Here's here's my dream of where I want to take the series. And now he's like, how do I get there? That's how I've always seen it. And it could be something much more artsy fartsy than that. But I, I don't, yeah. I don't know. That's how I've always seen it. Um, there is a feeling that he's totally free now. Like I, like my theory before was it's because of his improvisational style. It's hard for him to stop because he yeah. just keeps making up new stuff. And, uh, and I don't know, it's getting, like, like we were saying how it's kind of gotten weird now, and it's sort of this, like, it reminds me of, like, musically, it would be, like, someone releasing, like, some, ex- you know, some very popular, like, pop artists. Like, now I'm releasing, like, these experimental albums, you know, or something yeah. that people are like, what? what? What is this? It's, like, an entire <laughs> album about spoken word about farming, you know? <laughs> what is yeah. this? You know, it's, like, it, I hope it doesn't go completely there, but it's, uh. I know. I guess it sounds like we're complaining about the the latest volumes. I actually, I actually kind of dig it. It's actually, you know, I like the potential of it. But I mean, I don't know if it's gonna, if it's gonna get there, or if he's just sort of, you know, he doesn't know where he wants to go. <clears throat> um, I don't think it works. To be quite honest, yeah. I, I, I wish I didn't have to come down like that. But I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm fresh from 33 and 34. Admittedly, coming off from like a three year, you know, break from reading the series consistently. But reading 33 and 34 back to back like I just did, it's not, you know, it's a really slow meandering part of the series. And given me, uh, in always current, you know, writing situation or, or delays and kind of unclear what the path is, it's not, it's not super exciting. Uh, where where things are there headed. Was, and there was there was nothing- always a, a much greater balance before with like yeah. philosophy and you know oh hey you know a sword fight like right. you know he managed I, to mix it up. I don't really hold it against him because I mean it's his series. I'm just saying like in terms of from from a reader's perspective, it's not the most thrilling part of the series. Uh, I don't have a. It's not has nothing to do with the fact that Musashi's on a farm. I don't care about that. I love the philosophical parts of the series. There's nothing to do with that. The thing is, some with, of them feel like they're repeating themselves. Even like it's like it's the same day on the farm almost. Yeah, yeah. Like over and over, where it's like, well, you know, you already you could have made this point, or what point are you trying to make? You know, because right. it's like I don't feel like we're going anywhere. Yeah. 
The last point I really wanted to make, because Azil's back on now, we can probably add him in a minute, but it's just this quick aside I kept meaning to say it, I kept forgetting, was that I said how Inoue is sort of using the Matahachi um, frame story as a way to comment on uh, his take on the series and how it's his vision and give him patience and he'll get there eventually. That's where the story's headed, all that kind of crap. There are some extra things I thought were really neat from a historical point of view. During that seven-year absence of Musashi from the stage, Matahachi says... Uh, some people said he was stuck in a tower reading books. Others said he saw him farming. You know, that's just drawing from <laughs> like... the next arc. Well, no, it's just, if you remember, the you recommended the Musashi biography, The Life and His Works, I think it's called. Yeah, His and, Life and Writings, I think. Right, His Life and Writings. And um, during that, they actually say after the Yoshioka and, and a few things afterwards, like historically, he kind of falls off the map. And, and, and kind of just like what Matahachi says is there, there are stories of him, you know, becoming a scholar and reading for several years and learning, learning the ways of the world. There's also stories of him wandering and getting more duels and things like that. But it's not, it's like the, basically the documentation is hazy. At yeah. Best is basically. And so, and always kind of acknowledging that and saying, you know, what you're going to hear from now is not just, you know, me telling the story. It's, the story through this person's eyes is through the lens of Badahachi and what he thinks is relevant and what's true, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Like from a is, uh, narrative point of view, it's an interesting take. Well, the thing is, I forget is, is Monahachi appearing again in 33 and 34? Yeah. Throughout. Okay. He's appearing. Throughout. I couldn't remember if like, cause yeah, that was every, the other thing. It's like, every couple least I was in the, ep- in the episodes I was on. Like I, I couldn't remember seeing him or maybe it doesn't stand out because I don't have a translation. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm not getting that. So in my mind, it's like it's not it's it's not like he's narrating it anymore. Yeah. But uh, yeah, because I felt almost like he had even ditched that to a large degree. Right. It's a it's a tough series to follow chapter by chapter, which is what I said in the thread, and I, I really enjoy it a lot more. Once it's bound, you can see things flow from one chapter to the other. It's a lot less yeah. self-contained episodes than than say Berserk, which I have no problem really reading episodically. And following things, but Vagabond, it's the the chapters and episodes can really, really, really bleed together in a way that's different than in Berserk. It's gonna get really <clears throat> interesting in the next arc when, it, and really meta too, when it's uh, us reading Musashi reading books for you know three <laughs> volumes. <laughs> I, I don't, I doubt they're gonna take that 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 tack, but they could, of course. <laughs> it's gonna be all story of Musashi. All the rumors are true. All the legends are true. And I recognize that snicker. That means that uh, Azil is here. Did, yes. Yeah. Did Did you invite your way on the the thing? I thought I had to send an invite. Yeah. Um, I just joined. You know. I didn't know you could do that. That's really cool. I've been listening uh, quietly for you know just uh-huh. a few 